0: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: It's Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103.
3: And a very good morning to you And it is a wet one out there Be careful if you're on the roads Earlier on this morning Heavy rain for commuters And that will continue For most of the day And Bernie is here Taking your calls If there's something you want to raise On the show this morning Comment-wise You can text or WhatsApp 862 103 103. Uh, Very shortly We're going to be looking at These new rules coming in For late night bars and nightclubs How will they work Regarding a ticket kind of system They're thinking of Or trying to introduce Anyhow And we'll hear the uh, real implications that would have for bar owners. But returning to yesterday's show, we have a lot to catch up on because we did a lot of commentary in regarding the Climate Change Advisory Council Committee and their comments towards what Ireland should do to combat climate change. A lot of reaction from the agricultural community on this. And then on another issue that was raised on the show yesterday regarding our own medical records and how one man who was transferred to a city hospital uh, when he was to be treated, they didn't have the information regarding his medication so he was left in pain for the weekend according to our caller yesterday and with that in mind many people are saying now should we have some type of system whereby our medical records are on a card or we just should have them ourselves. Now I presume that once they were on a system you could access your medical information or the doctors or whoever is treating you could access the information in any hospital across the country that it was one centralised HSC database. Maybe that was effective with the cyber attack I'm not too sure. Anyhow, a lot of comments on that that we didn't get to yesterday. We're also on the programme this morning going to hear why every local authority should have an equine officer following more animal cruelty last week in the Cork area. This was uh, the leading of a discovery of a dead horse just outside Cork City towards Blarney last week. And if you are driving on the road, you will notice over the last number of weeks petrol and diesel prices rocketing going up and up every day, really. We're going to discuss why this is happening and when will this all stop uh, with the AA who will join us shortly on the programme. Also, going back to the situation with climate because the Environmental Protection Agencies, their emission report for 2020 was released and this saw emissions increase even though traffic was lower and we were in the middle of a pandemic but our emissions increased for 2020. We'll discuss that. We're also going to hear about a fundraiser for the Mortar Neuron Disease Association which involves an abseil down a tower in Smithfield in Dublin City. We'll speak to the lady who is going to undertake that and why she is undertaking that sale. and an awful story before at the end of the show where a unique Honda motorbike was stolen and burnt out in the city and this is a, a family from Meath, their son was in UCC they gave him the bike to basically get around, the bike stolen, burnt out but it's of huge sentimental value to that family so we'll speak to them later in the programme and it might be the best day to go gardening but we will have uh, gardening advice later so if there's a question uh, for our gardener, Peter Dowdall, that you want to get in, uh, well get it in early because it does get very busy when we chat to Peter, you can call Bernie with those 1850 333 103 or text or WhatsApp 086 2 103, 103 that and more to come between now and one o'clock. But the Tornistain has admitted there will be implementation problems with the new rules for nightclubs and late bars. Uh, regulations to be finalised later this week, they will require people to have a ticket before going into a venue. Now, the ticket must be bought at least an hour in advance of people attending. And Sean McCarthy, who was a number of bars in the city, the likes of Soho and Tequila Jacks, uh, joins me on this. Uh, good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, John Paul. Uh, Sean, for bars like your own, I mean, let's take, for example, Soho, a busy city centre bar. You operate uh, serving food by day in in the lower tier of the bar and then it turns into a late night venue. How will this ticketing system work for you guys? Because looking at it on paper, it's going to be very tough to implement something like this for a bar like yours and many others in your area of the city.
4: It's going to be impossible, John Paul. It's not even going to be tough because... um we serve food at the weekends up until 11 o'clock at night. <clears throat> so, like, it's going to take the spontaneity of people going, of making decisions about going out, out of it, because I'm going to have, ask someone who's spent good money having a lovely meal, a couple of, couple of drinks, and then say, they got to say, oh, I'd like to stay on, and we just say, sorry, you've to buy a ticket, leave our premises, go out the door, it could be lashing rain like last Saturday night, I thought I was working for the Jazz, and come back in an hour's time. That's, impractical, impossible, and crazy, you know?
3: So you'll have to kick people out who, as you say, have been spending money for three or four hours simply because they need a ticket to get back into your bar?
4: Correct, and they have to be out of our premises for an hour before um, they can come back to us. For an hour? An hour, yeah. One hour. It's Minimum uh, time is an hour. But at at the moment, it's only all guessing, uh, John Paul, because... um, we won't have the guidelines until next Thursday, they told us. Or, or, um, so we we'll get them on Thursday, and then we're supposed to implement them on Friday. So we, we're only just going on what we've been told, but actually the written guidelines haven't, won't be given to us until next Thursday.
3: And, and when you said next Thursday, is that tomorrow or Thursday week? Uh,
4: sorry, try, uh, next uh, tomorrow. And we're the, like, most places will be late Friday, Saturdays, and maybe some places Sundays. So you get them tomorrow and then you implement them uh, the next day.
3: And how are you supposed to implement something like this in less than 24 hours? I mean, it will be an online system. And I know many bars and many people will say you have that in place from booking tables. But this is different. This is the physical ticket you'd have to either email or, or give somebody on a phone.
4: Correct. Um, we're actually meeting this morning on figuring out how we're going to go about it. Um, and it's the same with everybody I was talking to in the last 24 hours. Um, people, I suppose we are all members of the VFI, a lot of us in, in Cork City, and we've been contacting each other to know how can this be actually done? How how can we issue tickets? How can we make them, um, I suppose, uh, legitimate and um, safe? And then how we go, go about um, implementing the one-hour out of your premises, back in again, Rule, you know. And then they don't want queuing outside your door, which I fully understand. But I don't know, I'd be honest with you, John Paul, it's just head-wrecking at the moment, you know.
3: I can only imagine it is because, uh, first of all, you lean a lot more staffing when you're going to implement something like this. I know a lot of bars are finding it tough to find staff at the moment and then you have staff in place whereby you'll have to employ more staff, which is more money for the business. Uh, so, I mean, that's going to put you under more pressure.
4: Um, yeah, staffing is very tough at the moment, um, and because of just table service and seated service, um, you need a lot more staff. And people are really like at the pin of their collar just to survive at the moment. And more costs again, like, will put us put the business under severe pressure. And people will have to weigh up, including ourselves. Would it justify um, going late um, at weekends because of all the regulations and the implications of um, of the new guidelines? It's just absolutely crazy. We weren't, um, no one was consulted in, um, from a point of view of operational wise. Um, I don't have a magic wand, but surely they could have come up with something better than a ticketing system and that you have to leave the premises, you have to buy it an hour beforehand. So, as I said, people that have dined with me, if they want to stay on late, they have to leave the premises for an hour and come back again.
3: You mentioned there about the spontaneity I mean that was the one thing that we heard from people who were out last weekend at the Jazz and not even at the Jazz in other areas of Cork as well whereby when they were out if they wanted to stay on later they could there was walk-ins if the bar was busy yes they would say we're full and you'd go somewhere else I know there was a a lot of queues we saw outside bars you know I suppose that that goes back to the nightclub situation but for those bars where there was no queues people felt if they wanted to stay on if they wanted to go elsewhere they could it was back to the way it was with this system, the spontaneity is is gone now and and that could affect and probably will affect the nighttime economy
4: it will it will have a big effect on it um like when people come out in the city center especially um they like to travel around and they like to visit a number of premises um just to um gain different atmosphere and uh see what town is like. They don't particularly stay in one premises for the whole place so, or for the whole night, so this has taken that out of it um everything will ha- like if you' are coming out now. Everything would have to be planned to the T, down to the exact minute. Oh, I'm going here at this time. I must have a ticket for this place after a certain time. Um, and if you meet some friends or want to stay on, or if you meet if you meet some friends and you want to bring them along with you, you say, "Oh, hang on, you need to buy a ticket. We need, we need to wait another hour." So it's, for young people, it's just more barriers again about getting out and getting back to as close to normal as possible in a safe way.
3: Yeah, uh, John in Newmarket making that very point. He says, when we go out, we did enjoy the fact last weekend we could be in Reardon's, we could go over to Soho and back up to another bar. Whereas now this will go back to square one. It will turn people off from going out and just have people inside their own homes drinking, which is not what they do not want us to do. Uh, says, uh, John in Newmarket. I mean, the queues we saw across the weekend outside nightclubs, I mean, they, they should have really anticipated that, that was going to happen. People were looking forward to going out. Is it too late now trying to, you know, give Give people a feeling that you can go out, you can enjoy yourself like they did last weekend, and now you're you're back in a situation whereby they are going to affect the nighttime economy again with something that, as you mentioned, other even Tarnish himself, Lirvarakar, says it's going to cause a lot of problems, more confusion uh, again.
4: Absolutely, John Paul. It's um, more confusion, um, more roadblocks. Um, look, the jazz was fantastic for everyone. Um, the the atmosphere around the city centre and suburbs last weekend was brilliant and what was great to see that it was predominantly the younger um, people coming out, enjoying the jazz, getting dressed up, really really, I was meeting young people all weekend saying it's fantastic getting back out it's been tough on them, I've children myself and in, in their 20s and it's in 18 months when they should be out enjoying themselves, they have been locked down, they have been fantastic the way they behave themselves and Now is the time to open up as safe as possible with proper guidelines. But they're now putting roadblocks again. And as your caller said there, back to home drinking, no control, house parties, and here we go again, you know.
3: And on the other side of this, then, you can understand, I'm sure, from Neffet and the government's point of view, why they're looking at this. They have to be seen to be doing something. Some people will say it's ticking boxes and and saying they have put this in place while it's causing problems for the bar and nightclub industry. Uh, But with COVID numbers rising, they're worried on that. But that is something I'm sure you as an industry are fully aware of.
4: Absolutely. And we had several inspections across all our premises at the weekend from the um, HSA checking on our, uh, how we operated our COVID guidelines and uh, and contact, uh, contact tracing. So um, people that are open and are delighted to be open in our business will be doing things right and will, will always endeavour to do things right. So if people come out, they should feel safe. And I do think that was the feeling around the city, most of the city last weekend that people did come out, they felt safe and have um, all their details taken. So it's just... Uh, it's just very, very tough at the moment in our industry, and it's it's tougher it's getting, you know, and this is just another kind of knock in the head again, you know.
3: Yeah, totally. It is going. To, we'll have to wait and see what eventually comes out. But looking at the leaks we are receiving and what what the vintners themselves are hearing, it looks like that what they are saying is going to happen. Um, and I just don't know how, how it will work. I mean, as you say, if you have someone in a bar and you have to tell them no, you have to leave to come back in, I don't see where the logic is in that. And I know COVID is rising and there is worries, but you still have to be practical. We'll just wait and see what they come out with over the next few days, Sean. Uh, anyhow, the best of luck to you in the industry, and we'll, we'll see what happens, and we'll stay in contact. Thank you, Sean, for joining us All this right. morning. Uh, Sean McCarthy there uh, who has a number of bars in the uh, city with the likes of Soho uh, Tequila Jacks uh, East Village and Douglas and others as well and just the practicalities of what they are saying and how they can implement this your views are welcome uh, you can text on 0862103103 WhatsApp on that number or indeed you can always uh, call Bernie with your comments on 1850 John and Carrick line says all the nightclubs are up in arms over the ticketing affair it's no wonder they are he says the biscuit tin at the door. The tickets will prove to revenue is how much is made uh, he says the Johnny Cash days are over goodbye to the black market Uh yeah I, I can see what you're saying there John but I don't think that kind of uh, at the door what you say with the, the tin box that hasn't happened for, for many years uh, I, I've never seen that in a nightclub they, any of the ones I've gone to over the years you have a hatch and it's well managed and there's managers there so uh, and there's always been a situation where you would get a ticket as you go into the nightclub. Uh, but this is a different situation. But I know what you're saying. Maybe back in the day, that was the case where you would have uh, a, a different way of paying going into a nightclub. But certainly uh, from 2003, 2004 onwards. Uh, that I presume has changed in many of the urban areas anyhow and indeed in rural towns too and a lot of people uh, on text uh, saying the same thing they cannot figure out how this will happen and how bars can implement this it's going to put a lot of strain on staff and bars who will again get further abuse that's coming in from Maeve on text to 0862 103 103 your views are welcome the lines are open 1850 103 You can text or WhatsApp at 103 103 And what we were discussing there uh, With the publicans And Sean McCarthy Joining us from Soho uh, Some have texts in And this is one example Saying Hi John Paul Would the publicans Just get on with Keeping everyone safe Try saying what they can do Instead of what they can't do They were well subsidised When they were closed My brother has a pub in Spain He did not receive One brass penny This is going on too long With all the hand- and all the moaning, says the texter on 0862103103. Your views are welcome, but on the way, we're going to hear why every local authority should have an equine officer. And this is following more animal cruelty last week. uh, This was where a dead horse was found just outside Cork City towards Blarney. But on a week goes by where we get calls whereby someone sees a a horse in distress or some type of animal in distress. Uh, So now there's calls for something to actually happen. We'll discuss that next.
2: Cork Today on c 103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 86 2103
3: 103 Coming up we will be discussing the rocketing of petrol and diesel prices but not a week goes by when we don't receive calls about animal cruelty to the show and many can be in relation to dogs or horses and even last week we saw a pony left for dead on a roadside outside the city so what can be done? Fianna Fáil Deputy for Cork North Central, Padraig O'Sullivan joined me on this Good morning to you Padraig Greg. Morning John Paul. Uh, first of all, this is something you're very aware of and you were currently drafting a bill in this area.
5: Yeah, I suppose look like as you said there in your introduction, you know, there's it does it does not a week goes by where there's not some issue of animal cruelty or animal welfare highlighted to us as public reps both in the city and the county. Um and any councillor or T D will tell you, look that we do get those complaints regularly through the office. Um the bill that I'm proposing would essentially uh, require each local authority to have a dedicated person that would follow up complaints um, in, in, in terms of an equine officer, kind of similar to what we'd have with a dog warden, um, and their responsibilities would be to keep the register, make sure you know people are registering horses and animals correctly, uh, and then give them powers to, to issue fines, go to court, um, to seize animals and whatever the case may require.
3: And then this would be every county across Ireland would we'll get and have one of these inspectors?
5: Yeah, well look, different local authorities, it would be different, it would, it's more prevalent in other local authorities than others, you know, like Cork yeah. County is such a big local authority that it would be, you know, an issue here, and same with Cork City, but look, there are counties, I'd imagine, in the country where the issue mightn't be as prevalent, Um but that said, you know, there's there still needs to be some regulation of this. There needs to be somebody keeping an eye on animals as they're registered or, or, or as the case may be in many cases, not registered. Um, the difficulty is, like by law at present, um, there is a register of horses um, but unfortunately there's, there's a certain percentage of people that just float those regulations and just continue to do their own thing and that's unfortunately where a lot of these animal cruelty issues arise at many, in many cases the horses themselves aren't registered so if there was somebody active on the ground um, checking on animals, you know, checking on complaints from the public then they would be able to see if these horses were registered or not and if they weren't then have powers to, to impound them or to seize the animal.
3: And do we know why here in Cork we have such a problem regarding animal cruelty right across the city and county compared to other areas? As you mentioned, it isn't as big in some local authorities. Now it is in in other areas of Ireland as well. But here in Cork, we seem to have a big issue when it comes to cruelty towards animals.
5: Yeah, look, I can't say for sure what it is. You know, um, I suppose growing up, I'd always have respect for animals. I'd be a big dog lover. My mother's family were all farmers. You know, we were just brought up to respect animals and, and that was the way it was. I'm not so sure. In, in in certain cases I was listening to another radio station this morning where a person was jailed, I think, for kicking a dog up to the air and, and killing the dog in front of an owner. So I don't understand. I can't explain what goes through a person's mind when they do those kind of acts. Um, it just doesn't. I'll, I'll never understand that kind of cruelty.
3: Yeah, I know you wonder why people do that you know, if they're capable of doing that to a, an animal, you always wonder will they be the same then towards a the human being but uh, on the issue of this equine officer inspector for, for various areas of the country, I mean will they be then, if this does go ahead, will they be given the correct powers because I know when we deal with the issues of dogs and dog wardens, we always come back with they can only do so much because they don't have the authority to do certain things. For example, if there is dog dirt on the street and it's openly aware that there is an issue with dog dirt uh, often we hear from dog wardens and others who say they can't do anything unless, unless they actually catch the dog in action uh, which really isn't going to you know is, is very impractical Well look I
5: suppose that kind of uh Dog fouling is one thing, but actual registering and owning of an animal is another thing. And if you actually look at the legislation, there are various acts going back to 1996, the Control of Horses Act. There's um, the Equine Welfare Act in 2016, I think. Um, There's various EU legislation. There's actually plenty of legislation in this field. um, And if I'm being perfectly honest... um, There probably isn't even a requirement for an equine officer. The reason I want the equine officer is because it's a dedicated person who's responsible. And as so many people would find out at present, if they ring the city or the county council and they look to speak to somebody to make a complaint, they go, they're, they're put from pillar to post between the guards and the council uh, as to where to report it. Whereas this would have a designated official. It's their responsibility and people aren't getting the runaround. Um, so the legislation there's plenty of legislation there governing control of horses and um, the, the real problem we have on the ground John Paul is that it's not enforced like if I was to say to your listeners there this morning that the guards actually have on the spot fine uh, powers to, to, to issue on the spot fines to people that are seen to not have A registered horse, or sorry, to have a registered horse in their possession or on their property or not having an animal passport in the case of horses. The Guards have those powers. Now, I I don't want to say that the responsibility is with the Guards because it's more so with the local authority, but the big issue we have here in this country is uh, as per the 1996 control of horses legislation, each local authority is meant to have a control area and if I was to ask you what control areas do we have in Cork County and City in terms of horse control, like we don't have any They've never implemented it, so in those control areas, it's literally like the wild wild west, you know. Um, so if you ring if you ring the city council with a complaint, they'll say we don't have a control area. Um, so do you feel so the
3: local authority aren't prioritising this situation? That's we are calling for an equine officer. They're not taking this seriously enough.
5: Yeah, well I feel that if you have a designated official then there's no more skirting or shirking from your responsibility um, and, and and as I said people running around and to be fair we've some great charities working locally I know we've got my lovely horse group uh, to who do great work um, and I suppose they're charities that are set up you know to fill a void and, and what I would say is whether it's through an equine officer employed by a local authority or whether it's the local authority just implementing the existing legislation I think there's an awful lot more that we can do And in, and, and if people are found to be you know, in ownership of animals without a passport or without a chip, that animal should be taken and impounded until such time as the owner is, is willing to regulate their behaviour or pass it on to a charity or pass it on to somebody that's willing to adopt the animal.
3: And as you mentioned, the bill is a draft bill at the moment. When will this be published? And when it is published, then how soon can we see these inspectors following this?
5: Yeah, well, look, we're hoping to have the bill brought before Christmas, but like anything, I, I can't dictate that. That's up to us at all. Um, but to be honest, John Paul, if you were to f- see the full implementation of a bill, it might take a number of years, which is why I keep emphasising the point that there is existing legislation there. and I think we, as you know, Lux authority here in Cork City and County, need to do an awful lot better in enforcing what we what we have like i i put in a number of parliamentary questions over the last few months in preparation for this bill and in drafting it and you count on one hand how many people have been issued with fines or have, have been sentenced to prison sentences in the last since 2018 and 2019 and 2020 it's just that enforcement is virtually non-existent in this field and as i said if 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 local authorities kind of picked up the slack a bit i think you know the, the area would be much safer for animals
3: and regarding on that the local authority may say and they have said this to us when we've raised issues like this before regarding animals or indeed roads, budgets are a problem for them and they go back and they blame central governments. and authorities say if they have to fund these themselves and they don't have the money.
5: Look, budget budget concerns are always a concern but what I would say is I take Cork City Council as, as an example I, I forget now their last year's budget but it's definitely in excess of £300 million. If you're telling me that you can't employ a person who might be on a salary of, I don't know, 35, 40, 50,000 out of a budget of 300 odd million, then there's something seriously wrong. So, I, 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 do believe that we can do better. I do believe, you know, um the people that bring us politicians and public reps, you know, often in a case of distress when they see an animal being beaten, uh, abused, in some cases, you know, punched, um, that poor animal that made the headlines last week in the Barney Road, that animal, from local reports, was was reported a number of times to authorities. Um, You know, people were seriously concerned about its welfare, um, and unfortunately, you know, nothing was done, and, you know, I think that could have been prevented. Um, And that's why I come back to the issue of the Equine Officer, if that bill ever does see the light of day. I I believe that as a local authority, if you have a designated official whose responsibility it is to investigate these complaints, then I I, I think, you know, it'll make the... I think it'll make what what you know the process a lot more transparent uh, to the public because, as I said, you have groups like my lovely horse who are rushing to sites or rushing to the side of the road um, and dealing with these animals and trying to take care of them. And I, I don't know how much longer that's sustainable.
3: OK, well, we'll wait and see what happens with that bill and if indeed the local authorities uh, in the meantime will act on the existing legislation that is in place. But thanks for joining us, Podrick, on that this morning. That is Cork North Central Fianna Fáil Deputy Podrick O'Sullivan. Your views are welcome. When it comes to the mistreatment of animals, I mean it's it's a pity to think that we have to go that far to bring in a bill and to get an equine officer across the various local authorities in Ireland because simply people are abusing animals and, and that is what is happening. And whether this will happen or not with the legislation in place at the moment moments authorities don't seem to be implementing anything and we still end up in a situation like last week again another poor pony found dead uh, just outside the city anyhow your views are welcome 1850 333103 text or whatsapp 0862-103-103. on the way we're going to hear uh, about this uh, continuous increase in petrol and diesel prices people have been Uh, Really taken back in the last few days going along to the fuel pumps, filling up your car. For example, a 60 litre car, I think, is it we're hearing 70 euros people are spending to fill up their car. Anyhow, we'll discuss that next.
2: Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Motorists
3: are facing large bills when they go to fill up 70 to 100 euros for their petrol or diesel. And it seems prices are continuing to increase. Well, Paddy Cummins of the AA is joining me on this. Good morning to you, Paddy.
6: Morning,
3: JP. Uh, Paddy, this is something that we heard about on the show yesterday. People went along to fill their car, roughly maybe a 60 litre uh, car, filling it up, and it's costing them €70. Euros. So for commuters now, they're saying this is hitting us really hard in the last few weeks. And will we see these increases to continue? Yeah, well,
6: actually, a 60 litre tank will cost you €104 Euro at the moment. So, yeah, it's it's... Um, it's it's really we were seeing it getting past the the 100 euro for a fill in, in lots of areas. And look, it's it, you know the reasons are simple. Um, firstly, you know I, look, domestically it's tax sixty percent of of the price you pay is tax. And, and we saw in the, the last budget just gone that the price of petrol went up by two cents and diesel went up by two and a half cents. Um, but also it's it's an issue of supply and demand. So during COVID the uh, price of a barrel of oil fell uh, down as low as $16 a barrel and now um with covid restrictions are sort of easing and we're getting back to normal the, the demand for oil has increased and we're now at a record um of 100 of $85 a barrel It's a record for for quite some time but um what what we're seeing is is, is no let up in the increase in the in the price and OPEC you know the oil producing countries are saying the demand is going to not plateau till um, you know, twenty thirty five. So that's a long time away. So, um, so really, we're not we're not seeing any let up in this. Um, what we do need is the OPEC countries to produce more, because um, increased production will and should drive down the price. But then that takes quite a while for that to filter down to the petro here. Usually, if there is some reduction in price, it takes as much as two weeks for that to be a reduction here. But as I said, it's a lot of what we're paying is tax.
3: And, I mean, the government have no, they're not going to change this all of a sudden, they're, they're going to keep the tax that's on the fuel on it, and with the carbon tax, I mean, how much roughly, you mentioned there about two cents for petrol, two and a half cents for diesel, is that what we've seen with the carbon increase in this budget? Yeah,
6: yeah, well, it's it's directly linked to that, so, um, but, you know, as you said there yourself, you know, the government aren't going to suddenly turn around and say, Do you know what, I think we're we'll probably, you're probably all paying a little bit too much for petrol and diesel because, you know, they can't be seen to do that because they're trying to push us all into EVs and and the likes. But look, the, the reality is with electric vehicles, is that these are expensive cars. You know, it's all very well saying that we want you know everyone in them, but you know, if the cheapest new one is the guts of thirty thousand euro, and um, that's not accessible for everyone, and it's not you know for for your average listener who might have you know eight thousand euro, five thousand euro to spend in a car, it's beyond their reach, and then they have to fill that car with. petrol and diesel just to get around to go to school to go to you know the shops to go to work and and these people are now paying more and more and just to exist and get around because you know as you said the public transport networks you know i don't know what it's like for you guys but you know the public transport networks aren't
3: perfect yeah and when you mentioned public transport okay if you're in the city suburbs and city areas it is there it's reasonable enough you know, there is delays like everywhere but yeah. if you go further out then there's a train service to parts of East Cork parts of North Cork uh, again you know if you have to be making time basically but if you go to other parts of the county you are relying on your private bus operators or bus air, and if you're going from town to town it's the local link and that does not suit everybody and in some areas they will say they have no public transport the car is the only way to get around and if you're in a village and you want to go from example Dremelig to Skibbereen the car is what you'll use or from Boroughboy to Kanturk. you can't be relying on buses so people maybe in more rural areas are hit with this I mean we, we did speak to a group from Cork who set up a petition about looking at the carbon tax and removing some of the taxes but as you said that's not going to happen so demand for oil will inc- is going to increase uh, usually Paddy you know we'd see a month or so where you would get a, a high price and then it would drop again after a month is that going to happen here? I don't think it is by what you're saying.
6: We're not seeing it. I mean, I drove from Dublin to Cork the other day and and back, and um, just on Sunday, and uh, I was seeing uh, over one one seventy um, on the on the routes on the end on the M seven and the M eight on the way down. So, so no, they're increasing. And as you say, the thing, you know, the thing as well about electric vehicles, you know, should a person in Skibbereen um, get the same grant as someone who lives in Dublin who has the option of a Lewis or a a bus or, you know, a cycle lane um, to, you know, there's maybe not equity there because um, it's the people who don't have the public transport uh, services that rely on the car who maybe should get a greater incentive to move to uh, a cleaner vehicle.
3: But on that, I know people are saying the electric vehicles are dearer to buy. And when you mention that to anybody, they go, yeah, they are. But the bigger problem that I'm getting from listeners here is that if you're living in a housing estate or within an apartment block, it's going to be less impossible to charge that car because there's an issue of getting charging points in certain housing estates and in apartment blocks. It's, It's a big upheaval to uproot a parking area, especially if it's underground.
6: Yeah, the solutions are getting uh, getting better and, you know, I've seen um, and over the last few weeks and months uh, better solutions, they're like posts that go into the, the ground. But I think what we need, obviously, is, is planning to make sure that any new apartment blocks all have that infrastructure in place. But it is getting better, but um, but look, it's very difficult, especially in a rural area. And, you know, I, I, I visit Cork quite a lot and, um, you know, Cork doesn't doesn't have a whole lot of fast chargers for, a big city you know um, and it's it's quite it's, it's noticeable when when I travel down to cork how difficult it is to fast charge yeah there's the slower ones but it's difficult to fast charge when you're down there but um but, you know people who, who who buy an electric car need to be able to charge it at home or it really becomes quite a difficult uh, process but um but yeah that that needs to be taken into consideration and we also saw this last week that the government um, decided to remove the grants from January on plug-in hybrid vehicles. Now, there is some controversy about whether they are used in the right way, but for lots of people they are a stepping stone to full electric vehicles if they're not quite ready to go the whole hog yet. And that that grant now has been a cut off from, from January, which you know, doesn't necessarily, for us, give the right signals and possibly should have been allowed for a little bit longer at least.
3: So is this something like we had a number of years ago where they advised us, everybody, to go uh, diesel and people swap from petrol to diesel and now diesel is not the car of choice and some makers and some manufacturers are, are stopping the production of diesel uh, this year uh, and they're telling us go electric. Is, is this all, do you think this is all part of it or is it just simply demand for oil that, that, that there isn't uh, enough oil there to produce and that's why prices are going up or do you think the government will really keep the tax high so we will move to electric?
6: Well, I'd say the government would argue that you know that at the time they were um, they were advised about diesel from you know the, the best information they had at the time, and, and as we know, since that some of the car manufacturers weren't necessarily telling the truth about uh, you know the, the 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 environmental credentials of diesel. So um, you know they are trying to reverse that. You know EVs do seem to have um, the right intent, and um, you know they are the the production of them do, you know has some carbon um, carbon difficulties, but but look, it is the right direction to go for now, obviously, further into the future. Hydrogen will be the holy grail because, you know, running a car in hydrogen is effectively water. You know, the water droplets coming out of the tailpipe. That's a little bit away, yes. I think we do, you know, we can look at countries like Norway where they've got it right. We can get people into EVs, but I think what needs to be looked at as well is some solution for, for people who don't have the money because um, it, it's all very well saying let's go into the into EVs, but you know if you're an average worker, an average person, and, and you know jumping into a thirty, forty thousand euro vehicle just isn't possible. And all you're being, all that's happening is it's getting harder to fuel your car. So that's there's fair. No, that's, that's simply not fair.
3: Yeah, no, very true. It's totally not fair. And for the moment, we won't see any let up in those prices for diesel and petrol. They're just going to go up.
6: Yeah, it doesn't look like it. I mean, what what needs to happen, JP, is production needs to be increased um, because it's just an issue of supply and demand at the moment. So uh, unless with the, the, there's more production, um, the, you know, the price will reduce. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that sixty percent of whatever price we're paying is tax.
3: OK, well, for the moment we'll leave it there, uh, Paddy. Uh, not sure. Sorry to bring you
6: such bad news today. <laughs> on, a great say. day, but
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing good in that, but anyhow, we'll, we'll have to make the most of it. Uh, unfortunately, we'll have a knock-on effect in other areas of the economy as well. But for the moment, Paddy, thanks for joining us this morning. That is, Paddy, coming there of AA Ireland. Your views are welcome on that. A number of calls and texts already in regarding the issue and the price of petrol and diesel. Can we find cheap petrol and diesel in Cork? People are texting in saying, wherever they're going. It's ranging between 167 and 169 for petrol. Have you seen it lower for both petrol and diesel? If you have, let us know. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. 103. 103. Cork today with you until 1. It's John Paul McNamara in for Patricia Messenger while Bernie is taking your comments to 1850 333 103. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We spoke earlier to Sean McCarthy. He owns a number of bars in the city and suburbs and some of those will be the likes of to Kita Jacks and Soho uh, well known on the Grand Parade and this was over the ticketing system that is due to be introduced whereby if you now wish to go to a nightclub if you're on a night out you basically will have to have a ticket an hour beforehand to get in but the one thing is when it comes to late night bars if you're in a bar which is serving food and you're sitting down for the last two or three hours having your food with your friends and a few drinks you might have to As, as at the moment the way we're reading into this leave that bar to get back in again when it turns into a late bar. So at 11.30, it's deemed a late bar, you'll have to leave and then go back in again, which many publicans are saying that makes no sense. So your views on that and also makes no sense to implicate on that. uh, A lot of uh, reaction. First of all, this text was saying, Hi, J.P., at the nightclubs and late bars, they will be made into the likes of bounce zones where they'll get paper-coloured wristbands and to be called out when their hour is up. It's just another dig at all the establishments, which is very unfair as there are so many that could not get back to business. I feel so sorry for all those in the hospitality industry, So that text there. Well, another text here is saying, listening to your debate with interest this morning on the proposal to introduce this ticketing for late night bars and nightclubs." I think it is a great idea. For too long, this country has a drink culture that is out of control. Listening to the publicans on air this morning, he spoke of spontaneous decision making and an element of pub hopping. This is precisely what we should be avoiding during the current pandemic. Do people not remember the lead up to the last Christmas and the reckless behavior of some of our publicans and their customers? It is time for the pub trade to be more proactive in curtailing the virus and stop their moaning. They and their staff have received more than enough in pandemic payments, says this person on text to zero eight six two one hundred three one oh three. And a lot of people wondering how can any bar implement this? Eileen saying I can't understand. I don't work in a bar anymore, but when I did, it was hard enough to control people who were in the bar not to mind now for staff to ask somebody who's in a bar for two or three hours to leave and then come back in again imagine if they have a lot of drink on board how is that going to work says Eileen on WhatsApp to 0862103 103. your views are welcome when it comes to the bars when it comes to fuel we're all aware of petrol and diesel prices on the up and we were asking for cheaper options in the Cork area and for petrol it seems everything is ranging between 165 and 169 no matter where you go in Cork and a lot of people have various views on this Eugene is one of them who says JP I do feel for the reason for these huge hike in fuel prices is down to nothing more than the greed of the oil companies and the government they are only making up for lost profits from the lack of sales during the lockdowns feels Eugene while John in carrick says the government gets 57 euro from every 100 euro sold at the petrol pumps fact says John and we are all thick stupid to put up with this and allow Muppets according to John run this country. It's a disgrace. The government are robbing us and we vote for them. Politics has this country ruined, says John in Carrigline. Uh, a number of people on, including Ian in Glamire, who says on the talk of electric vehicles, I agree with Paddy from the AA. I would love to go electric, but first of all, the cost is a turn off, but also is charging. we checked into this in the estate where I live. And there is no cabling available to extend a charger near my home, which means I would have to charge in another part of the estate, which is fine, but impractical sometimes if you feel or realise late at night that you have to go to another part of the estate to charge your car and what if there's a car already charging? Uh, How does that work? So for me... It turns me off going electric. I now, like others who commute, will have to deal with these high prices. It's costing me €70 euro to fill up last weekend. When I hear Paddy talk about €100, euro, how can I deal with this along with everything else going up? Uh, electricity, gas, oil, it would all follow. So unfair on working families like us who were already struggling with the cost of childcare. Now we have to deal with energy, says Ian in Glamire on text to one and John, who is in the farming community, feels that farming now, listening to what we had on the show yesterday regarding uh, the climate action response to the government and what they're advising the government to do. And now regarding oil prices, he says, between the price of feed, fertiliser and now oil, uh, John feels just farming is finished because they can't continue uh, with all these high prices. Uh, some of your reaction regarding the fuel. And if you do find or do know where fuel might be lower than 165 for petrol anyhow, let us know. Uh, at the moment nobody has, uh, has seen anywhere it's all between 165 and 169 at the moment regarding petrol and we spoke also on the show between, just before 11 o'clock and this was to the Cork North Central Deputy Patrick O'Sullivan and why he feels every local authority every county but local authority more so should have an equine officer in Cork that would mean two here in Cork uh, for, because of the city and county but he wants one across the country across Ireland and on this a lot of people People feel that those who own animals may not be honest when it comes to certain things. For example, Margaret is in Tallow, and Margaret says we are doing all we can for our horses, but we're also doing our horse census in November. I wonder though how many won't be so honest like us, uh, says Margaret in Tallow. And a few more people have uh, discussed that, and you know, will people be honest when it comes to these sort of things? Um, also, Jerry says I do feel that we and others in society need to care more for. Uh, animals. It's not nice to see a, a dead pony and pictures of a dead pony lying on a road near Blarney but also what is a nice is looking at other counties and other instances and it just seem that Dublin, Cork and Limerick are the biggest offenders when it comes to animal cruelty but why is that? We need to stamp this out and uh, firm in for my uh, Elizabeth says, it comes back to education. I do feel that we do need more education in our schools when it comes to dealing with animals and how to treat animals. I would hope, says Elizabeth but that would filter through to their later years some of your calls and comments on why we should have those equine officers in various parts of the country and every local authority but maybe more um, should have it more than others. Anyhow, thank you for your calls and comments. Keep them coming. To 1850 eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, or you can text a WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And an earlier call from Patricia, who's in the Fermoy area, she says the blood bank sent her two sons messages to donate blood urgently today. Now they've been trying to contact the blood bank in Mitchellstown, but they can't get through, and they were given a window to make an appointment for today in Mitchellstown. They're wondering if anybody else has any luck on that. Well, we did uh, contact the blood bank uh, last week on something similar that came in from a listener in another area. And they said the best way to contact them is through these two numbers. And they're based, this one is based in Cork, first of all, at St. Finbarrs, It's 021 480 7400, based in St. Finbarrs. And also they have a national low call number uh, for the Irish Blood Transfusion Service as well. If you want to contact them on 1850 731 137, they advise to contact those numbers first if you can not get through to a local area. And Bernie has those numbers as well there. If you miss those, she will pass them on to you. But that's where we can uh, bring you uh, with regards to if you do need to get in contact with your local blood donor service. And I'll stay on health because yesterday we had a number of calls in after Anne, who initially phoned from the Mallow area regarding a man she knew who was transferred to the Mercy Hospital because they could not access his medical records they could not give him any medication he remained in pain for the weekends and until the department in Malo Hospital opened then they could give him medication now obviously they were checking first to see you know if he was allergic to anything or, or what would be the implications if they gave him a certain type of medication. That was why they were waiting and holding on. And a lot of people had mixed views on this and feel, you know, we all should carry our own medical uh, information with us that have some form of information on a card or something. Well, Pam sent this in yesterday toward, towards the close of the programme. And Pam says, listening to that story, I have brought my parents to different consultants hospital appointments and out of our surgery where they have asked about their medication. Sometimes they have been able to answer and sometimes they haven't clued due to their health. I now bring with me a copy of their prescription. However, I cannot understand why every person in this country could not have a card which holds every piece of medical information about you. It would be an encrypted card and only they read by the medical personnel. Imagine someone found on the side of the road, say they collapsed due to a health issue. It could tell you who they are and what their health issue is. I have looked into this and it is available in some countries, says Pam on text to us on 103 103. That is a very good idea, Pam, I must say, uh, and... That public services card there that that some people have gotten, have received, I mean, you wonder could something like that be sent up or or could it be included in that, uh, whereby the information would only be accessible to medical personnel. Uh, But it is a good idea and would save a lot of what happened to that man over the weekend, whereby at least then uh, the nurses and doctors would know how to treat that person if they themselves didn't know what medication they were on or didn't know what they were allergic or not to or their family didn't know and. In a way, what happened was they could not get through uh, to the other hospital who had the information. So that would be an idea. Thank you, Pam, for your text on that. We spoke a lot yesterday uh, regarding the energy situation, which we'll touch on shortly again. And uh, a lot of people are saying, can we sell stuff back to the grid? Can we produce our own energy and set it back to uh, the actual network? Well, on this, a texter says we were producing our own energy and selling back the energy to the grid. But the network will not allow this. We tried. So this person feels they're all feathering their own nest. Climate change must happen now. It's already too late, but we the humans are destroying it. But when we want to help, we're told we can't help, says that texter. And on the farmers yesterday, and we spoke with Helen, a farmer after 12 o'clock yesterday on the show, Helen uh, reacting to the news that came out regarding the Climate Change Advisory Council and their comments towards the government. And they uh, feel farming needs to change and that the national herd will need to be reduced, and a lot of farmers yesterday uh, with very busy show regarding that topic, where people were annoyed and upset and angry over the proposals that were made to the farming industry. Well, one of those proposals, uh, Helen, uh, was the commenting on yesterday. She feels that too much blame is put down on the farming, and she felt some commentators in the media were pushing the agenda. And pushing it on farmers as if farmers were doing something wrong when farmers are doing their best to be economical. And farmers have diversified with solar panels, you know, solar farmers and different things over the years. And she had a load of different ideas on how farming can stay as it is, but in a green method. Well, on that, Mary reacting and she says, the farmer that was Helen, who was on your show yesterday, I think she was being disingenuous by claiming that media disproportionately blame the farming community for climate change. I regularly hear mention of other sectors such as transport and industry. The farming community are only being asked to do their fair share says Mary in Cork. And when we were mentioning roads on the show yesterday we had a lot of calls about footpaths and footpaths that were extended and made wider and people felt that in certain towns when a truck is trying to go around the corner the truck can't get around the corner the driver has to either reverse or pull in tightly so the truck can make way and this is all because footpaths have been extended. Now we looked into this yesterday and some of the reasons were that they were extending footpaths on the entrance of towns to slow down traffic approaching a town and a lot of it was down to the Town and Village Renewal Scheme and this was an initiative under the government's Action Plan for Rural Development and it was part of that 2040 Rural Regeneration Program that we heard so much about a few years ago and the Town and Village Renewal Scheme for Cork County was funded by the Department of Rural and Community Development and it did see town centres and villages being Transformed uh, footpaths being redone, you know the roads being resurfaced. Maybe in some cases, cycle lanes being put in. But the footpaths that were redone were widened, and this was all to make it more friendly for pedestrianizing the pedestrianizing areas of a town or village, uh, but also improving the road structure in that town Uh, but while they're doing that they were making it friendly uh, for everybody which saw footpaths increase in size and now that is leading to problems that we heard yesterday where trucks cannot get around the town Uh, and some are saying there's near misses in certain areas we heard from Kenturk and Bandon where people said they have seen near misses because of the footpaths being too wide and cars unable to manoeuvre around that well it is part of that scheme and they did look for express of interest uh, during the summer uh, it's finished now but they were looking for people to get involved in that so I suppose the council will only come back and say you had your chance to interact with this uh, but on roads John is in McCroom and he said he wants to know who's in charge of the road leading up to near Aldi and the boys school in McCroom. He says the surface around the manholes is so uneven it would nearly pull the steering wheel from you. This is the very piece of road and it was never finished properly so who is responsible? Well I would imagine that road and I know it, uh, I presume it's the council is still a road that is used to go in and out uh, of an area, and. I, I do presume the council are responsible for that. I, I can't see why uh, those where the road leads to would be because it is a road used by everybody so I presume it would be the local authority. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850 333 103, text or whatsapp 0862103103. and on the way we'll be discussing and being joined on the show by the Environmental Protection Agency and this is on their emission report for 2020 which even though we were all mainly inside and not driving, emissions did increase.
2: C103 Jobs
3: and on our job spot for today, an electrician is wanted to change light bulbs on a college campus in the city. Send your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. E&R Blinds in McCroom require staff for a factory floor. No experience is necessary. It's an immediate start. Contact Sheila on 26 43579. An internal sales executive is required for the Mallow area. Email your CV to Douglas at Acrevesh.ie. And you'll find these details and more online now. Just go along to C103.ie forward slash job. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Cork today on C one oh three. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 103, 103
3: Ireland has failed to meet an EU commitment to reduce carbon emissions by twenty percent between two thousand and five and twenty twenty. And that's according to provisional data released by the Environmental Protection Agency. And this follows on from a climate change advisory council issuing recommendations earlier this week to government on how to proceed into the future. While well, Stephen Tracy from the EPA joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Stephen. Hi, good morning. And were you surprised, first of all, at these figures? I mean, they show Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions fell by just 3.6% last year, but despite the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and less traffic on our roads, they had fallen by 4% in 2019.
7: Yes, I think it's, it's somewhat surprising. I mean, we had seen a expected a decrease um, for sure because we knew that lockdown measures, particularly in the transport sector, that we would see a decrease there. And we did. We saw a 15.7% decrease in transport emissions. Uh, But on the other hand, we did see that as people were working from home, that uh, residential emissions actually went up 9%. And uh, that was combined with the you know, obviously, you are working from home and turning on the heat, but also the the, the oil prices are very low in the first part of, of, of 2020. And, and obviously, our, our houses are not as efficient as they could be, so it really does point to, to the future there in terms of what needs to be done. Agriculture emissions didn't really... Um, uh, weren't really particularly affected by COVID, the activity in the sector continued. So agriculture emissions went up by 1.4%. So overall, uh, the reduction was, was uh, less probably than what we thought it could have been. And indeed, back in, in January, we had made an early estimate thinking it would be a little bit more than that.
3: And when you mentioned there about household emissions, I mean, is this the likes of, obviously people were at home, so using gas more or oil more and using the electricity, is that all taken into account then?
7: Yes, um particularly well in the residential sector, as we reported that's where the um the, the heating uh, the fossil fuels for heating are, are the emissions associated with that come in, but the electricity which is also also part of the electricity demand and we did see electricity demand stay relatively uh constant even despite the fact that many businesses were closed, so there was, wasn't really a reduction in electricity demand, having said that that was one of the more positive things uh the the uh, the carbon intensity of electricity generation went down to a, a new low, uh, below 300 grams of 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 a uh, 2 uh, per per kilowatt hour of electricity generated. So you know that was mostly due to a, a 51% reduction in electricity generated by peat uh, and more wind as well. So it, I mean the electricity uh, um, sector has continued to really um, show the way that even with demand increasing over the years, we've seen that the the amount of emissions. Hasn't increased. In fact, it's been on a fairly uh, steep declining trajectory in the last five to ten years.
3: And as you mentioned there, in the world of agriculture, I mean, things didn't stop during the pandemic. Uh, everything continued on as normal. So that would see why things remain the same there. But a lot of anger from the farming industry yesterday on the show, uh, from what came from the Climate Change Advisory Council by way of the recommendations. And I know in your own in EPA report, uh, you showed that dairy cow numbers rose between 2010 and 2020. But many farmers would say then, Stephen, that you know they were told to do this. Uh, and while other industries did the opposite, they were Told to do and increase their herd numbers. Uh, how I mean, looking at that report from then and, and what's coming out with the emissions. I mean, what advice would you give the farmers when they were saying to do one thing and now they they really have to do another?
7: Well, I think the the increase in the in the uh, dairy herd in particular, which is up forty six percent in the last ten years, uh, is driven by by market factors primarily. You know, and, and the demand internationally for milk. So, uh, I suppose the reality is that that if if, if um, if something is to change, um, it's going to have to, to to come, you know, contrary to what the market is demanding. So there is an international market for the product. I mean, most milk obviously is exported. Um, but is that, I mean, the issue with with the with the um, with the agriculture sector is really about methane emissions, and we've seen methane emissions continue to increase. Um, um, and and it's not just about the number of cattle; also, the the, the cattle themselves are produce more methane per animal because. Um, you know, improved breeding over the years, they produce more milk. Uh, and in uh, consequence of that, they do produce more more, um, more methane as well. So so that's something that it's very difficult not to crack. Um, I, I know that Chagas have, and it's in the, the 2019 Climate Action Plan, uh, come up with a list of measures that, that could um, help to tackle emissions from the livestock sector in particular. Um, but I think we haven't really seen the substantial impact of that yet, it's fair to say. Uh, And we really do need to see those measures implemented as a a matter of urgency, really, at this stage, because it's only nine years to go to 2030
3: at this point. And, I mean, on that, they they did decrease slightly in 2019 and they increased again by 2020. So while they were working towards that, it seems, I don't know, was it because of demand for the last year or what, uh, that has seen a rise again of emissions from the agricultural industry. I mean, do you think that this will actually work out? I mean, we listen to politicians, Uh, they are really thinking that this may not happen and they're in favour of what is going on within the farming community? Are you hopeful that will change and that farmers will make the change?
7: I think there is a need for something to happen. I mean, whether it's a, a combination of effective measures, that's, you know, including the ones we have already, uh, but also and I think it's fair to say we haven't. We haven't probably got enough measures on the table to really de- deliver reductions in methane uh, emissions. So there is more research going on on that, but it needs to deliver fairly fairly quickly. Uh, I think something the EPA has said before, and it's not just in relation to methane or, or, or greenhouse gases, it's in relation to uh, the intensification of agriculture in general, is that we have, seen, uh, we have seen deterioration of water quality. We've seen air emissions go up and, and really... It's not sustainable to, to continue to expand when we know that expanding is, is damaging the environment. Uh, so unless, until, until such point where we can, where we can, um, we can say that what we what we do is not going to cause additional damage to the environment. It doesn't. It's not a sustainable approach to to continue to do that damage. Um, so really, that's that's something the E.P.A. has said, uh, particularly in relation to water quality over the last year as well. Uh, I think in relation to methane, the I.P.C.C. has been very clear li- earlier on this year that globally what's needed is a strong rapid sustained reduction in methane emissions and that's necessary to keep us on track for the 1.5 degree target and and you know from the UN report yesterday we're really not on track uh, for that target at the moment and um with with what countries have committed to to date uh, we're looking at a, a 2.7 degree rise uh, in temperature which is a, is, a, is a really scary scenario um, in terms of what tipping points might be tripped at that point you know so mm it's um there's a really strong imperative but it's it's not it's not just about because i think that's a that's a focus that that we we often get uh caught up in but this i think what the what the carbon budget um from earlier this week has shown is that really every sector here is going to be pushing the limits and the boundaries of what's possible uh to deliver those kind of savings between now and 2030 so it's it's really going to be a huge challenge across the economy I mean, when you look at what we saw from COVID in terms of the increase in residential emissions, you'd have to say that the, the, the you know, the increase in uh, heat pumps and and uh, residential retrofits that's needed, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of houses uh, here, is, is hugely necessary. Because if we even if we reduce transport emissions like we did, we'll see the emissions appear somewhere else. If we don't, you know, so, so I think really it's not it's not one sector or one, um, one action. There's there's a. a the carbon budget really is a, an indication of the extent of what's needed. Uh, in, in terms of what our projections showed back in July, I mean, they were based on the 2019 Climate Action Plan, and they indicated about a 24% um, you know, d- decrease in emissions by 2030 on the basis of what's in that plan and um, really what we're talking about from the current budget here uh, is doubling of that effort it's, it's, it's really a, it's a 51% reduction by 2030 and it's it is a huge a huge task ahead
3: for all sectors and just going back to fuel I mean we've heard over the last number of years about smokeless coal and areas going smokeless has that played a part in helping with the emissions whereby there's less coal burning now in areas and in cities especially
7: Absolutely. I mean, that's something we've seen. If you look at the residential emissions um, time series, we, 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 we presented a little bit on this uh, this time around because you know that, that we're into 30 years of, of inventory reporting now from 1990 to the 2020. Uh, and if you look at the time series for residential, it's really striking the amount of solid fuel that was there uh, back in 1990 compared to very little now in comparison. And really, even though we've got a huge increase in the number of households in that time uh, with population growth, the emissions are are. are, are you know, relatively on the same trend, uh, give or take uh, fluctuations from year to year with temperature. Um, so really, that just indicates that that you know the impact of moving away from higher intensity fossil fuels from a climate perspective, but also uh, the added benefit of improved air quality.
3: So with all the recommendations we've mentioned, there are now in place. Are you hoping for better figures next year?
7: It's a difficult one to, to say for sure because I mean we we know there's a lot of action taking place, but there's also a, a number of of um, Rebound effects that may occur as a result of, of COVID. You know, um, I mean, the transport emissions are, are, are really we saw a huge decrease and, and probably would be expected to increase again next year uh, based on, the, on on the rebound because there's not enough electric vehicles there at the moment or 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 by in the system to to mitigate that. I know, we're nearly at the end of 2021 now and we, we know that there's about you know 26,000 or so electric vehicles, which isn't isn't enough to to, to offset the, the likelihood of of the rebound there uh in terms of residential emissions hopefully it will hopefully they will reduce um I think the electricity sector is another complicated one because uh you you're probably aware there's very high gas prices at the moment, and that does potentially have an impact on whether uh coal at, uh, is burnt or not. Uh, which has a higher emissions intensity than gas. So, it, yes, you know, there's a number of questions, and we obviously don't know how windy the winter is going to be yet either. So, um, it, it's it's hard to say for sure. But there are, there is a risk, I think, um, that we may we may see an increase again uh, as we come out of COVID, and that's obviously going to set us on the
3: wrong track. Okay, we'll wait and see what happens, I suppose, over the next 12 months. Before I let you go, Stephen, just a text in from a listener. I don't know if you can help us with this. Uh, This is some advice, basically, uh, while you're on. They have a person in their area who's fly tipping lots of rubble and soil. It's on a site near where they live. Uh, There's a couple of thousand of tonnes of this, they think. Uh, No one seems to be checking what's happening and I'm not too sure if there's a stream or a river nearby, but uh, can they report this and how can they do so to the EPA?
7: Yeah, I mean, they can report it to the EPA. I mean, that would be in the local authority responsibility initially, at least, and um, depending on the scale. Um, but there is, the EPA does have a, a see it, say it app available, and you can take photographs on that and and, and you know directly um, uh, notify the, the EPA and the local authorities with that app, or or just contact the local authority directly. Um, so, so, so those would be the initial the initial stages.
3: Okay, well, hopefully that helps our text there, the EPA app or indeed uh, contact wherever you are there, whether you're in Cork City or Cork County. And we can give you the details of those numbers later in the programme for the moment, Stephen. uh, Thank you for joining us this morning on those issues. Uh, That's Stephen Tracy there from the Environmental Protection Agency uh, on the emissions for last year. And indeed, I suppose what will happen now over the next year, a lot of reaction to that. We'll get to those very shortly. Your views are welcome. 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. But have you ever done an abseil? And we will find out more about abseiling next. And we are aware of fantastic support groups right across the country that provide so many services. And because of that, people go out and they fundraise
1: fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com
2: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door
3: Disease Association, and Mary Lynch has decided to do an sale to raise funds for them, and she joins me uh, to tell us why she's doing this. A very good morning to you, Mary.
9: Oh, good morning, John Paul. How are you?
3: I am fine, thanks. Now, first of all, tell me why have you decided to do this fundraiser, and why for the Motor neuron Disease Association?
9: Well, I'm I'm originally from Cork, dear uh, John Paul, uh, Dunamore in County Cork. So, our mother died of Motor neuron in 1993. So, um, our family, the family, the O'Sullivan's, we always done fundraising down there, and they were always very good there in Dunamore to do um, fundraising, tea mornings, and raffles and that. So, uh, about six years ago, my sister Esther and myself done an sale from Pro Park. And um, then two years ago, my niece Julie and myself done uh, one from Coke Park again. So this year it's a different one now. For the most on your own.
3: How did you find the Crow Park up sale? Because I know people have done that and they say it's quite high, so heights you're not afraid of them anyhow, Mary. Well,
9: <laughs> it's not that I'm not afraid, but <laughs> it's harder to get up to the top of Crow Park than it is to come down, I can tell you now. Oh, is it? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah all the steps up. So um this one now in Smithfield, this is the first ever from the Smithfield Tower
3: and this is for those who are not familiar and maybe you are if you're on a train or Lewis it's a tower in Smithfield a very well known area in Dublin uh, how high is this tower first of all
9: it's 190 feet oh And yes, there's I, I, 244 steps to
3: get to the top oh wow that's a challenge right. in itself <laughs> And then when you're on the top of the tower and you're going to abseil down, just describe what happens. I mean, I know you've done it in Croke Park, but are you on your own or is there someone with you?
9: No, no, no. Two of us can go down together. Two can go together. So uh, Smithfield now, I think, is slightly different to Croke Park. When you come out in the top of Croke Park, naturally enough, you're on your little seat and you have your ropes to. Guide you and they have a rope on the top in case that anything would happen. Um, I think um, Smithfield is a little bit different to come down. I think you're like hitting the hitting your feet from off the side as you come down. But uh, I'm not really sure about that, to be honest. But I well not them John Paul.
3: You'll go for it and give it a go.
9: I'll give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. As I said, I'm going to give it the last roll of the dice now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it's yourself and your niece Julie, is it?
9: Julie to me yes. And Julie Julie's. Fairmount in Dunamore.
3: In Dunamore, very good. Yes, and yes. and on, on this, when yourself and Julie are going down, there is someone, though, on the top, is there helping you down? Oh, there is. There is. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the
9: people, oh, Lord, yes. Yeah, the people that, um, that are running it.
3: And do you yes. get nervous?
9: Well, I suppose a little bit, yes. I try you see, I try not to think about it. I try to think about the money we'll raise for the motor neuron mm. disease because um I don't know if you'll be familiar with motor neuron, but it's not it's not a nice disease at all. It's um it's uh it's a terrible disease actually. It affects everyday things like walking, talking, eating and even swallowing. You know, so like and yeah. did you
3: say your mother was it, Mary?
9: My mother, yes. So did you yeah.
3: watch your mother going through all that then?
9: Well, she didn't actually. She died very early on in okay. the time. But I know a lot of people here in Eden now that have died. Well, a few people, I wouldn't say an awful lot. Yeah. Um, You know, that have died but it, and went to the end and it's certainly not night. So um, 80% of the income for the mortal neuron comes from fundraising and donations.
3: That's so a large I'm amount of money, very large yes, amount of money.
9: Yeah, yeah. So all the support is very vital because um, what they do then is they arrange home visits. They have, I'm not sure if it's three or four nurses on the road and they do that and they they provide specialised medical equipment and they give funding towards counselling because I'm sure, like you know, some of the families that will have a patient would need some counselling. Um. So that's what we are doing
3: now, and and the association themselves, as you mentioned, there all those services need to be paid for. I mean, counselling can be for the person who has the disease, or even the family who were going through this and trying to care for the person. It it kind of works both ways in that situation.
9: Yeah,
3: yeah. And I mean, you yourself, your family has gone through it. You've seen friends going through it, and the Morton O'Reilly yeah, Association. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they do fantastic yeah, work. Yeah. But, and it is again going back to only for the likes of associations like this, uh, people would have nowhere to turn to.
9: Oh my God, that's for sure. That's for sure. Mm. And like, I must say, They're out in Dunmore. there's a great community spirit in Dunhamore. Now, I'm not saying for a minute now, John Paul, that there isn't great community spirit in any other of the parishes. I know, yeah. But because I'm from there myself and I'd be filled in and all of what's going on there. And um, my niece, Julie, now, she's a great girl altogether. And she has um, arranged, she has set up a GoFundMe page.
3: And, and we'll share that later on our social yes, media, where yes, people can yes, go along yes, and they can yes, fund yes. on on or contribute even yes. on the GoFundMe page. And she, tell me when you're doing this.
9: Yeah, <laughs> we're doing it next Saturday.
3: Oh, this we're coming Saturday. Be,
9: yes, yeah, we're to be up there at half past eleven. So I suppose it will be all over at half past twelve that we we'll get <laughs> <laughs> we we'll get that safely. And the GoFundMe page is open until the end of November.
3: Very good, in the November. Yeah, and yeah, November. And you can and contribute away after you've, you've done yeah, this. And how do yeah. you prepare now mentally for something like this?
9: Well, uh, no, I do a nice bit of walking here in Nina, but I don't do I don't do do not climbing, so that's a different thing. But no, you see, there really is no preparing. You just kind of make up your mind whether to do it or don't. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm sure Julian now is more prepared than I am but she'll come along anyway with me and she'll, she'll guide me. Um,
3: well, it's fantastic yeah, that so. uh, the aunt and the niece can go and uh, go up at the, oh, yes, th- yeah. this tower um, and head down. And you say, will this be your final one or what do, you, do you think you'll do more?
9: Oh my God. I, <laughs> I'm saying at my stage in life now it's probably my final one.
3: Do you want to but say then, what stage of life you're at or do you want oh, to keep that a secret? I'm
9: going to be 72 in November.
3: Well, great stuff for yes, hopping up yes. on the on the tower in,
9: up-
3: <laughs> in Smithfield. <laughs>
9: Yeah, you yeah, give us
3: all around yeah. for our money, Mary.
9: Oh Lord, well, she, you <laughs> might do the next. You Maybe I'll go the next it. time with yes, you. Yeah, yes, that would be an adventure. Right, you. <laughs> now, the other thing I would say as well is that Julie's on Facebook. Julie Toomey for anyone who knows, and you can get a link from her Facebook for anybody that would like to donate. Now, I suppose there's lots of businesses, people running businesses, and and that that might like to give something towards it as well.
3: Totally. And as I said, we'll share that link, Mary, for you on our social media pages so people can yeah. find the link there go on the Twitter me. page. And yeah,
9: I donate, Mary Julie Epsil.
3: So say it there again, I donate. I donate, Mary
9: Julie Epsil.
3: Okay, I donate, yeah. and Mary Julie Epsil, if you want to Google page. that, you'll find it there yeah. as well. And we'll yeah. share that as well for you, Mary. Uh, Alec, I wish you the very best of luck. Before I let you go, though, I want to know yeah. what brought you from Dunamore to Nina?
9: Well, I ma- I actually married a Blarney man, uh, Franklin. She's dead now. He, oh God, he, he, yeah, he died in the Morton area uh, in a motor accident, um, a road accident, uh, almost twenty-two years ago. Oh Lord, Mary. so Sorry I live in that. Nina, and um, we came, we both came from from Blarney Mill up to a mill in Nina. Yeah. So um, I'd like to say hello now to all my family there, the ones I won't be seeing in Dublin. I'll see them before Christmas sometime. And could I say hello to a very special little girl that's listening in? And her name is Grace Nopton. And Grace got a new little baby brother yesterday. And she's a great little girl altogether, together and I know she's going to be a great big sister when the little baby comes home.
3: Oh, she will, of course. So and hello to other, Grace.
9: Yeah, my other sisters and brothers are there in Dunhamore as well. And my nieces and nephews and um, I'll be catching up with them all. Hopefully, John Paul, that I'll be. The legs, they will
3: be moving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will, Mary. I'm sure you will n- no fear, and, and I don't know. You say this is the last one, but I've, I've I've no doubt you'll you'll try another one. I'm sure in the future. It's all for a great cause, though, and w- is, we must remember is, yeah. that the cause on oh, this yes.
9: That's what I think and the work I they do. Think, yeah, I keep thinking about the the, the fundraising more mm-hmm. so than the than all those tips. Totally. So I thank you so much for having me on now. Well,
3: Mary, thank you for and joining us. And the very yes. best of luck on Saturday on Smithfield. We'll be thinking of you up in the tower and up sailing oh, down. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure, as I said, it will all go well, but everybody will be thinking of you. We'll share that uh, donate page on our C103 Twitter feed later. But again, it's I donate. Mary and Julie, search for that and you can find it if you want to Google it as well. But the very best of luck, Mary, on Saturday. Take care. Remind yourself. You. Oh, lovely.
9: Thank you so much. Take all care, Mary. Out. Mary bye-bye, Lynch
3: now, there. Bye-bye. Lovely Mary Lynch from Nina and Tip. Originally, from Dunamore and herself and her niece Julie doing that uh, abseil down the tower in Smithfield all for a very great cause uh, for the Motor Neurone Disease Association and the uh, counselling services they provide and the nurses they provide helping out families who find themselves in that situation so well done to Mary, isn't she an inspiration uh, heading off there uh, in her 70s to do that abseil lettuce? she says herself she'll go and do it and have the time of her life and so she shoots John Paul McNamara in for a Patricia messenger until 1 and your views are welcome on the common line to Bernie 1850 333 103 or you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 and a big reaction to Mary Lynch who joined us earlier uh, originally from Dunamore, now living in Nina and Mary is doing the abseil down that tower in Smithfield in Dublin on this coming Saturday everybody wishing her well wishing her the best and Kath uh, saying that Lady Mary is a great person what an example to everybody says Kath what right, how right you are indeed Kath and Keith as well saying what an inspiration she is and we wish her all the best with her uh, niece Julie who lives in Dunamore uh, doing that sale on Saturday all for the Motor Neurine Association who we will share uh, those details on the C103 Twitter page later this afternoon if you want to contribute to that or fundraise for them uh, and best of luck to both now on fuel prices we spoke about earlier on the show Eileen Context said that just before the budget, this was announced that petrol and diesel prices were put up by retailers to cover the amount that was leaked by the government as to what was going to be added in the budget. So double whammy and now cruel oil crude oil prices are rising to add to this as well says Eileen uh, John says it's a time for politicians to move over and ministers to publish their carbon footprints they are telling us to cut our carbon footprints, uh, but there's a massive compared to the ordinary person there are two litre cars says John and all the air miles they do are just huge it seems to do as I say not as I do says John on text and staying with fuel uh, if texter has in saying that the Amber Garage in Mayfield is 1.66 for petrol Uh, that seems to be the the cheapest around that we've got at the moment anyhow uh, they don't know what diesel is there but petrol 1.66 in the Amber Garage in Mayfield and Pat is in North Cork driving around various parts of North Cork but he says Rathmore where he was in also he's seen it cheaper for petrol and diesel in Rathmore and we often ask that to the industry experts and the AA and they say it really depends on each petrol and diesel station but it also depends on when they got their uh, fuel topped up in the actual station and what they bought it in at and that could be one of the reasons as well for the difference in price at various garages uh, thank you for your text regarding fuel on the issue of the road in McCroom we got earlier on from John who wanted to know about the road uh, that leads from uh, the street in McCroom up to Aldi and the boys school and I presumed there was a, a council road we weren't too sure but he, he feels the road wasn't finished properly and who would be responsible well Councillor Martin Cochlin, who's in the know about everything in Macroom. good morning to you or good afternoon at this stage to you Martin Martin was listening and he says that the road leading up to Aldi in McCroom has not yet been taken over by the council so they are not responsible for the upkeep so it's not the council's responsibility for the upkeep of that road heading towards Aldi and McCroom. Thank you for that Martin and on the issue of the emissions we spoke about earlier first of all regarding the agricultural sector we spoke with the Environment and Protection Agency and while you would have thought emissions would have dropped in 2020 they did not, they increased even though there was less cars on the road and less of us going around the place, emissions still did increase and one of the reasons in that uh, was the household emissions which increased because more of us were at home so electricity was used and heat was used and also the agricultural industry did not stop Uh, obviously enough continued And because of that, they were the two that were highlighted in this report. There was other factors as well, and it goes back to our discussion yesterday uh, on the effects this will have towards agriculture. Well, uh, a texter says, I have visions of farmers heading to the government buildings with side delivery muck spreaders full to the brim, says this texter. While uh, John says, as a farmer, I am concerned about global warming, but it was refreshing to hear the farmer in North Cork speaking on primetime last night on how farmers could reduce output and as a farmer, we can do our bit for climate change. All this production is a nonsense. 34% more dairy cows than County Cork since 2015. Enough is enough, says John. And yes, and even yesterday on the show, farmers were texting in on how they have diversified. Even Helen, who joined us on the comment line yesterday, was telling us how farmers can diversify and how what she was doing to diversify. Uh, but I think a lot of farmers were upset that the way that they keep, uh, feel they're being singled out every time uh, the climate is mentioned or these reports come out regarding emissions. And Dan says JP, I drive around Munster five days a week. Over the past two years approximately, the number of cows on farms has doubled or trebled in some cases. I don't think the land mass grew accordingly. This was due to some EU limit being removed. Surely I contributed to climate change. Uh, meanwhile, farmers still moan about survival. To qualify my observations. What is the difference between a farmer and a newborn baby? The baby will eventually stop crying, says Dan on text to 0862 103 103. Your views there on agriculture and the emission situation and climate change and on the issue of doctors which we spoke about earlier and this was doctors trying to figure out um, uh, this was a case basically from the weekend that we discussed yesterday a man who went to another hospital in the city and basically uh, they couldn't give him medication until they realised from his medical files what he was on medical wise and if he was allergic to anything uh, and they could not contact the hospital where he was beforehand because the department wasn't open until Bank Holiday Monday and then he was treated but he was left in pain for the weekend with a big response to that but uh, on this and again I think the reason they did this was they needed to know what medication he was on and if he was allergic but a tex- a texter has says, how come a vet can figure out what is wrong with an animal on foreseeing it and highly qualified doctors can figure out what is wrong with the patient even though you tell them the symptoms Well, I think they knew what was wrong with the person but I think in this instance, they didn't know how to treat the person because if they gave them the medication, he may have had a reaction. Because uh, from from what we know, if he was on medication or if he was allergic to medication, his medical file could not be obtained. And that was the bigger issue that they, they knew what to do, but they didn't know how to treat because if they gave him a certain type of medication, he could have acted badly to that. And while we were saying we presumed once your details were on a hospital system, every hospital could have access to it, seemingly they're not able to. Not too sure if it's the HSC cyber attack had a a part to play what the situation was but it didn't for that man and people had really good ideas on how maybe we should all carry a card and on that card there's a chip with all their information so you simply pass the card to the medics and they then will know exactly what's in your medical situation and they can treat you accordingly Uh, so that's where the outcome was regarding how we could handle that situation and just back to emissions for a moment because Liz uh, feels when we were speaking about the emissions from homes and you had the situation regarding electricity use on the increase and heat on the increase because we were all within our homes. Uh, Liza says that good health requires fee- free circulation of air. Otherwise houses are incubators. And yeah, I mean a lot of the houses which have drafts they say were the best ones to be in during the the height of the covid pandemic because uh, the air was circulating around and some of the newer homes which are airtight, uh they were the ones where they they say, you now I don't know how true this is, but that's where uh, those um, colds and flus can, uh, f- can flourish because there's not enough air circulating around. Anyhow, Liz, thank you for your uh, text. And a text here asking about the shoebox appeal and where can they be handed in if you're in the Bantry or Skibarine areas? Well, on that... And we've checked with Team Hope who run the Christmas Shoebox Appeal. And if you want information for your own town, you can go to their website, teamhope.ie. All right, teamhope.ie. Go to that. uh, Just type in the name of your town and it will give you your drop-off point if you want to drop off those shoeboxes uh, to Team Hope for this year's Christmas Shoebox Appeal. Uh, But in Skibberine, you can go along to the Carberry Showgrounds. There is a collection point there. And in Bantry, it's the Connections mobile phone shop in the square in Bantry, are taking the shoe boxes for this year's Team Hope shoe box appeal. So hopefully that helps you there. That texter in the Skibbereen and Bantry areas. Coming up on the program, we'll be going gardening with Peter Dowdall. If you have a question for, please sure get that into us now. Uh, to Bernie, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Text or WhatsApp zero eight six two one zero three one zero three. But on the way, we're going to hear about this awful story where a very unique Honda motorbike, uh, which belonged to uh, a bike enthusiast from County Mead was stolen and burnt out in the city we'll find out more next the
2: C103 cork diary with Cork
3: County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports
10: all across the county see corkcoco.ie
3: Mallow arts festival that runs from today until this coming Sunday with a great lineup of events scheduled you can check them out at mallowartsfest.ie or check them out on social media at Mallow Arts fest on Twitter or Facebook the official opening is going ahead tonight in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow at 6.30pm and that has been officially opened by Ray Cudahy, uh, followed by an exhibition from 12 artists in the West End Art Studios at 730 And Kildallery Home Bingo, their bingo books are on sale in the usual outlets and this week's no ball prize is €250. And Skibberine will remember local people within a 10 mile radius who passed away during the pandemic that's going ahead tomorrow evening Thursday at 7pm. It's Finishing with reading, songs, and music in the Fairfield and Skib. And if you would like to have someone included in the commemoration, you can email their name, address, and more to memorial at gmail.com. And you can keep your gardening questions coming for Peter Doddle, who'll join us in the next 10 minutes on the program. But we all have something sp- precious in our lives. And for our bike enthusiasts, many would love going away at the weekends on their bikes. And many are joined bike clubs where they do this. Well, for bike enthusiast Brian Leonard, he was gutted after his much loved Honda MD90 was stolen recently in Cork City. Brian is from Meath and joins me this afternoon. Afternoon to you, Brian. Hello, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, and thanks for joining us. I mean, first of all, this bike, it's a very unique bike for people who maybe aren't into bikes, or are around to wear. Uh, This this one you have is very rare here in Ireland because you imported this from Japan.
10: Yes, John Paul. They're used specifically by the Japanese Postal Service and built by Honda exclusively for the, the Postal Service. But they're based on the old... I suppose, Honda 50s and 70s and 90s that we would have known from the, you know, the 70s uh, and such. But they're almost identical, but uh, strengthen up a little bit for for, for that purpose, you know.
3: So, you obviously are, you know, big into bikes. And why did you import this one? Is it because simply it's so rare and, and you'd like to have a version of your own? It's,
10: it's just that it's a, uh, I'm into sort of, uh, yes, I'm into bikes and I would uh, restore and collect them, Jonathan, that's my, my illness, mm. if you like, but um, I like the, the quirky, something that's a little bit quirky and, and left field, if you like, you know, so that's not, a little bit unusual. So this really appealed to me when I researched them a number of years back and the the opportunity to acquire one uh, came up, so um, I jumped at it and, uh, and, and took it from there, you know.
3: And how long had you this bike again? About four years okay. uh, in total, John. Yeah.
10: So during COVID, then when it hit, um, I, I would normally sort of tour Europe and um, the Highlands of Scotland and such places. You know, on on my larger bikes. But uh, all all those plans had to be cancelled during during COVID. But um, I took the opportunity then to to sort of uh, revamp the, the little 90 and add panniers and bits and pieces to it. And instead of touring, uh, we would say, going down the Autobahn at 100 miles an hour, hmm. I was touring Ireland at 40 miles an hour and thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> it, you know.
3: Well, yeah, a lot of people did follow suit and, and tour their Ireland on such things like motorbikes and really enjoyed it. And I'm glad to hear it all worked out that way. But then things change as restrictions lifted. Uh, your son was able to go back to college and he came to Cork, uh, to UCC, and needed a way to transport around himself so uh, you being a good dad felt that you could lengthen the bike.
10: That's exactly it. Yeah. So David um, went back to college there recently in UCCs in his final year studying languages, and um, so the, the bike was sort of repurposed for for him, and uh, and then transported down there to to college, and he was he had it stored in the underground car park while he was waiting to do his um, his IBT uh, test to get um,
3: insurance on it. You know. So while he's in college and while he's inside studying or whatever he's doing, he, he noticed that was the bike outside his home or was it sitting in that car park?
10: Yeah, David's uh David's in, in the on campus accommodation there yeah. at Victoria Cross. So um the underground car park is practically a few floors beneath him and he's sitting at his window which faces out onto the onto the road there at the at the overlooking the, the Lee and uh he he um he noticed he heard the sound you know and he said that sounds an awful lot like you know my. and he looked happened to look out the window and there's two young chaps uh in, in hoodies um riding his bike away you
3: know how did they get into the car park
10: well the, there is access into it i suppose the you know it's not you can you can have pedestrian access into it now the barrier was down and there is CCTV there there is lighting and David had the bike covered and locked and an additional lock on it but the guys were able to cut the locks off um, pull the cover off it and were, uh, they didn't really care about the CCTV or anything and they rode the bike then around the barrier and, and made their escape
3: you know. Okay so they knew what they were up to when they were able to do that um, so at this stage the bike goes your son obviously runs but you know you, you can't chase a motorbike uh, so you uh, get the phone call?
10: Well, David alerted the guardy first, uh, as as he should, and gave them the details and a good description of the bike or whatever. So the guards put out a a watch for it, and uh, then David contacted contacted me, and you know, so once we were sure that he was okay and everything else, we were we put an appeal out on Facebook then for information, and the response was phenomenal from from some wonderful people in Cork City. Who, who were able to say i've seen it here at such a time i' saw it you know so there were several sightings of it we passed those on the guarantee but it came to no avail um uh, so the following morning when my nerves had calmed i i went down with it and and liaised with um i have cousins in, in cork city my mother is from the marsh actually so um i have cousins in cork city and we went out uh, with david and uh where we'd uh, had sightings of the bike and searched the local fields etc and eventually found found it ourselves you know
3: and how i mean looking for a bike like this uh, it is maybe smaller than what you would look at a normal motorbike at but mm-hmm. it's a bit like looking for a needle in a haystack i mean i, I presume your cousins knew exactly uh, the story when it comes to this situation it's not the first time bikes have been stolen in cork city and they would have known where to look for for a bike like this
10: yeah the local knowledge um was was really good you know to have that and that support there and um the uh you know the direct and the sightings you know so people had seen it so one of my cousins uh that morning actually witnessed the bike himself uh, and the two young chaps on it in those in the fields where it was eventually found so he he sort of gave chase but they 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 went off uh, he couldn't he couldn't get them so look we we were able to concentrate our efforts then on that area uh, and and finally you know uh, recovered it, but you know with with a little bit of damage done
3: and what damage was done when you eventually found it?
10: So I suppose they yeah, i would have I would have made um panniers for the bike you know from old army ammunition boxes and such, and customized it to, to an extent um those are all the, all that stuff was was taken off you know and anything that could sort of potentially identify the bike the tax disc the number plate etc was was taken off and then they they made an attempt to burn burn the bike out so there was a lot of fire and smoke damage to the bike then as well but the you know the the frame and 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 wheels were are intact and hopefully the engine will be will be able to be rebuilt and we'll get her back to where she was you know
3: you t- you will be able to restore her
10: I will. If it kills oh, me, I'll, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have it as good as it was, if not better.
3: Yeah. Well, that's good. At least it can be restored. But shocking to think that that would happen. I mean, how was your son? I mean, it must have been a shock for him. You know, you're inside is, and then you look out and you see the bike being driven out when you think it's in a secure location, but also to someone that would actually do that.
10: Yes, it's look, it's a shock to anyone, any victim of crime. You know, it's a shock. Um, you know, I, I have a background in that area. I was 32 years in the airport police and retired as an inspector there in February this year. So I'm, I suppose, kind of used to dealing with with crime. But uh, to David, it was uh, it certainly was a, was a shocker, you know. But um, there you go.
3: And how is David now following all of this? I mean, has he found himself a new mode of transport, or how is he getting on in college?
4: He's
10: look. He he was very shook uh, as a result of it. You know that someone would do this. But what what has been a real consolation to him? And an eye opener really is the kindness and generosity of uh, of lots and lots of really good people in Cork and um, my own uh, vintage Japanese motorcycle club that I'm attached to. The the, the guys there uh, prompted me to set up a Go Go Fund Me page and to help with the restoration and 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 the the contributions coming into that and the well wishing uh, you know and and people such as yourselves covering it on the. On the radio has been hugely beneficial to to David in particular, who who sees that you know it's it's a very very small percentage of people who are who are doing uh, nasty things, and the 99% of people really want to do the, the right thing and are very supportive.
3: Yeah, and you're very right about what you say there. The majority are, are doing what they can do and will be supportive to, to him and to your family. And we will share that GoFundMe page later on the C103 Twitter feed so people can donate to you that way and hopefully help yeah. r- restoring uh, that fantastic bike. I mean, I've seen images beforehand of the damage yeah. and it is quite unique. All right. And I mean, you mentioned there uh, CCTV. I mean, had the Guardian even looking at the CCTV if they could make out who these people were or were they just well covered that they, they couldn't find out who they are?
10: Well, the the local there's this little centre shop there beside the beside the, mm. where David's accommodation is, and they had a they were caught on camera there, and uh, which gave the Guardian a very accurate timeline. Which so, which interestingly you enough, know, ten minutes after they they passed that centre shop, they were riding away on the bike, on the bike. So they were quite quick about doing what they did, and um, but they had hoodies on, and then these days everyone, uh, you know, is wearing a mask. So that's. That is difficult then for the gardaí to get a to get a good identification, on, you know. But look, um, these are these are only young lads, you know, and and they're they're doing this because they don't, you know, they, they don't have anything else to do. Obviously, they need a sense of hope and some opportunity, and some, you know, so they need something else to to occupy them besides besides doing this. Or you know, the cycle of crime will continue.
3: Yeah, and it's unfortunate that they have to do something like this to, you know, spend their days. But anyhow, as you say, it does happen, and it's not only here in Cork; it's happening everywhere. Unfortunately, uh, well, Brian, we, we wish you best of luck with restoring the bike, and we will share that GoFundMe, and, and hopefully, that the bike, as you said, if not in better condition than it already was. And uh, just take us back: How did you get involved? Like, where did the enthusiasm come for for motorbikes? Well,
10: I suppose. It's difficult to pin that one down, I suppose. But you know, um, I grew up in a very rural part of County Monaghan, and um, I used to actually come down to my mother would send me for my holidays down to my down to the to my cousins in the, in, the, in Cork City, and uh, I remember in um, uh, is it Oliver Plunkett Street there was a there was a, a motorcycle shop and just the. The atmosphere in it, and this looking and gazing in the window at these wonderful, wonderful machines, like it just, and the smell even of them, you know, uh, the two-stroke oil at, at the time, etc. It just sort of uh, gave me a sense of uh, being able to move beyond uh, a very rural part of Monaghan, and uh, getting my own transport, and and one thing led to another, and it just, I've never been without a motorcycle in my life since. I was about. 16
3: years old you know well well done it's, it's some story on how you got involved from a, yeah. a, a shop in Avra Plunker Street to this and I mean would yeah. you go on bike runs So with, with clubs because I know people that are involved in those bike runs and it's a real sense of community it's like a massive huge family isn't it
10: uh, it is yeah the, the club that I'm in is the Vintage Japanese Motorcycle Club which is you know it, it, it very much focuses on the older the older stuff and they're, they're they're all as I say old fogies like myself at this stage you know but it, there's a great sense of community in it, and you meet wonderful people. It's a great leveler, so it doesn't matter if you're a brain surgeon or if you're a bin man or anything. It, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, the the conversation is around the motorcycle. It's around you and your participation in it. So you know everybody talks to everybody, and it's a great, it's a great, great for your mental health. It's great, um, you know, it's it's great in every sense. And just on that, um, when I was travelling up. Uh, the back home with the bike and in uh, stuffed into the boot of my car when we were looking up to recover it. I got a lovely phone call from um, a lady from Middleton Bright Bike Projects, who run um, uh, kind of a men's shed but focused on uh, motorcycle mechanics, if you like, and they provide workshops there for for, pe- for people to get together who have an interest in motorcycles, talk to each other and uh, and, and have a cup of tea. With the focus on on mental health, and that lady offered me their facilities and whatever, which was lovely of to do that. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to have my own and the ability to do it. but I, I said a give her a shout out on the radio if I could? Like it was a, it was a, one of the many many kind gestures from the people of, of Cork that, that that we
3: received well, well done to the gang in Middleton and I know on text and WhatsApp here so many people have been in touch they followed your story on social mm-hmm. media over the last number of days and they're all just wish- passing on well wishes to yourself Brian and to David um, as yeah. so do we so yeah. we wish you the very best of luck with restoring the bike and as you say hopefully it all goes well for you and you get all the, the various parts I mean if you need anything give us a shout anyhow and we'll see if we can get help for you if, from Cork to me on that one <laughs> Thank you very much, John Paul. Thank take you. care, Brian, and best of luck to your son, David. Uh, that is uh, Brian Linnard there joining us uh, from County Meath. And what was and what is an awful story. On what happened to his uh, beloved bike? Uh, thankfully, though, they have found it and hopefully will be restored. That, uh, as he said himself, even better than what, than what it was. Uh, but what a thing to happen, and what a thing for his poor son to see uh, someone going off on when he knew it was his, you know, b- beloved dad's bike. Anyhow, uh, we wish them both uh, best of luck and the entire family. What a nice man he is too. Uh, Awful to think that something like that would happen. But anyhow, it doesn't doesn't it And we just have to be careful? Even though they were extra careful. But anyhow, it shows it can happen to anybody
8: across Cork City. And- And County. This is Cork
3: Today on C103. And Gardaí and Bantry have been in touch and following a traffic collision this morning at Kamahola Bridge in Snow near Bantry due to bad weather conditions. A jeep left the road and ended up in the water. Now this jeep is still in the water but Bantry Gardaí would like to inform concerned members of the public that the occupant was unharmed and the jeep is now unoccupied. It is hoped the jeep will be removed from the water at low tide at about 3.30 this afternoon. But for those who were in the area and are seeing this jeep in the water, uh, the occupant is not in the jeep. He was unharmed, or she was unharmed, and the jeep is unoccupied in that water. Hopefully, uh, to be removed later this afternoon. That is coming in from Gardy in Bantry. Let's go gardening, and we're joined by the Irish gardener Peter Dowdall. Afternoon to you, Peter.
8: Well that's good news anyway John Paul that nobody was hurt. So.
3: Yeah that's, good news yeah and I can, yeah. I can see why the the Gardaí were getting a lot of calls because people saw this jeep and presumed someone was in there but thankfully um, that person is out of the uh, the jeep now all and okay. is unharmed so all well there. Now uh, while all is well and that was due to bad weather conditions not the best day to be out in the garden but a lot of people are looking out at the garden Peter and a lot of questions <laughs> into us here uh, so we'll get straight into them and first of all Mary is in McCroom and Mary has a butternut squash growing in her greenhouse she wants to know how can she tell when they are ready to pick
8: when it's big enough really is the short answer to that john paul i mean it's ready to pick whenever you want but uh, just wait till it's big enough and then 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 pick away
3: okay and now she wants to know uh, if you have uh, she has bell pepper plants can they be kept in the ground until next year or do you need to grow new plants every
8: year i'm fairly sure that they're a one time harvest I'm going from memory on this I haven't grown them in years but I'm fairly sure that you will have to plant again next year but I could stand corrected on this I'm not 100% on that one uh, but I think you'll have to plant them again for next year
3: Okay and Paula has a question because she has three agapanthus in a cement pot and over the summer there were long-stemmed blue flowers. Should I cut these stems now and what should I do with the main plant? Because you read somewhere that they should be stored like other bulbs over winter, as in dried and wrapped in a brown paper bag, or do I leave them in the pot, asks Paula.
8: No, Paula, you, you leave them out, you're fine. So the long flower stems, which have now died off or probably have died off, What you could do if you want and it's very very easy and very successful is collect the seed from the those long flower stalks where the blue flowers were up on top though they'll have now turned into seed pods if so if they're dry and kind of crinkly they'll crack open very very easy and you have these little black seeds so you could try sowing them into a bit of compost and you'll have new agapanthus now it does take quite a while for them to develop into a a decent sized plant from seed but it's a bit of fun and it's worth a try Uh, normally you'd grow them from dividing the, the 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 root system under the ground Uh, In terms of do you need to take it up and treat it like a normal bulb, I'm going to say no. And the reason for that is because we tend not to get too cold uh, in Ireland. Now, as sure as I say this, (laughs) we'll we'll go to minus 20 or something. But um, uh, 99 times out of 100, not even 9 times out of 10, but 99 times out of 100, they'll be fine outside. Um, And particularly when they're growing in a pot like Paula has them, because that means that they're going to be well drained. They're not sitting in wet soil in the garden bed. Um, You know, all soil is wet today obviously but at least in a pot it's going to drain away so I would say leave them out because the other thing is you want that pot you want that root system to become very congested in the pot because that's when they flower at their best is when the root system is is good and congested so I would leave them well alone Uh, if you want to collect the seeds do if not just just cut the the, the flower stems down to ground level they're depending on the species of agapanthus john paul they're either what's referred to as evergreen semi-evergreen or herbaceous now basically what that means is that th- they will or they won't die back under the ground so if you see them all withering and going brown don't worry about that at this time of the year at all uh, it- it'll be totally natural and again depending on the severity of the winter um will determine whether or not they will so really you have little enough to do with them leave well alone i would say
3: Okay Paula Hopefully that helps you there And Kathleen is in McCroom Now Kathleen uh, Did not have a lot of fruit From her strawberry plants Last summer She wants to know Is there feed She be, should be giving them Because they are placed In a sunny position outside So she doesn't know Why that was happening
8: It uh, certainly wouldn't be Feeding anything like that At this time of the year Okay Because you don't want to be Encouraging new growth During the winter months um, so as to why they weren't, why they didn't fruit particularly well in a sunny position last year, I'd be more concerned about a couple of things. Number one, the age of the plant. Um, so it's robbery plants that are kind of two or three years old are at their best, if you like, from year two, three and four. Before that, they're a bit too young. Year one, they're a bit too young to give you anything worth talking about. And after that, they do begin to get a bit tired. Um, but what you can do is you remove these little runners so if you if you, if you see a strawberry plant uh, john paul it's like a little rosette of leaves and then it sends this this stolon out it's like a, an umbilical cord if you like and at the end of it you have another rosette of leaves so it's quite simple to just pin that extra rosette of leaves into a little pot full of compost and it'll develop its own root system and then when it does you just literally sever the umbilical cord cut that stolon between the parent plant and the runner and you've got new plants so As the older plants become old and tired, you constantly have a succession of new plants coming on that will give you more and more fruit. So I wonder, is it to do with the age of the plants? And also, if you don't remove the runners, whether you use them or not, but if you don't remove them, the plant will will tire because it will be sending its energy into the runners as opposed to into fruit. Uh, So I wonder, was the plant too young or is it too old? Uh, And if it's in year two, three or four, I would feed it, uh, but not now, during the spring months with a good organic, it'll have to be organic because you'll be eating it. So a good organic tomato food. But that's, I'm talking kind of March, April, May time.
3: Okay, Helena had an amazing crops of dahlias this year, still going strong. I was hoping, she says, to leave them in the ground this winter. So what would be the best covering to put over them?
8: Um, Sorry, what was the the plant, did you say? It's uh, dahlias she has dahlias no I don't I wouldn't be too worried about covering them Uh, you could give a mulch around the plant with a good organic matter something like farmyard manure or or mushroom compost or something like that that will benefit because it will feed the plant but it will also it'll also protect them from kind of frost damage during the winter months I wouldn't be too concerned about covering them with anything else if we do get an extremely cold winter again uh, you could put something like horticultural fleece over them uh, but that would only be a temporary I wouldn't leave it on them all winter
3: Okay and Sheila wants to know she has or should young pyrocanthus shrubs should they be sprayed now uh, to prevent insects and stuff attacking them and with what sprays asks uh, Sheila
8: Absolutely not Sheila I wouldn't be in any rush to put any random spray on them just because uh, just as a preventative pyrocanthus tend to be very very trouble free anyway in terms of pests and diseases so I wouldn't be putting any insecticide on them because the double whammy there is they flower in the spring and attract bees. So you don't want to have any uh, systemic acting insecticide in that plant that will then harm the bees. And also, of course, the birds will be feeding on any berry. Now, they might be too young to be in berry now, but in, in normal winters, birds will be feeding on them. So you really don't want to be putting any poisons on them that would would, would damage birds or bees. So I would... There'd be nothing that I would put on as preventative. They tend to be trouble free anyway, but if they do get a problem, I would say then contact us and uh, we, we, we'll come up with a solution at that point. But I, I wouldn't imagine they will have a problem.
3: Okay, Mike is a Bantry. He has a can of Lucifer Lily. It's about five feet and just about to flower now. Is this normal?
8: It's a bit late for it actually. They're normally the, the Cannons would normally flower kind of in, in this climate around August and into September, so it is a bit late. But but be it be it as it may, enjoy the bloom. Unfortunately, cannas now are a bit frost tender, so when when the the first frost does come, it will probably put paid to the the canna bloom. And that is a plant that I would be protecting over the winter months, not, not only from the the cold, but also from the amount of winter rain we get. God knows there'll be, be enough rain now today <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the canna to see in its lifetime uh, So I would protect it maybe by bringing it in for the winter If it's going to be a severe winter Or covering it with fleece or something like that over the winter months
3: Okay and we've about 50 seconds left So maybe uh, short answers for these Because this person first of all is asking Can you set rose plants outside? I have them in pots at the moment inside Can they be set outside this time
8: of the year? I'm going to say yes but it does depend if it's an outdoor variety so if you bought it as a house plant then it'll be an indoor variety but all other roses yes you can plant away outside
3: And do you know where you can get bluebell bulbs and where car- when uh, can you set them?
8: In a blatant plug for myself we have a few <laughs> left on the com. they are Irish grown Irish bluebells grown in County Waterford so it's the com. We don't have that many left but we do still have some left
3: Okay Peter and are you uh, any more out and about meetings or online for the next week or so?
8: We're online doing webinars and talks and demos yeah. we're, we're kind of, it's the new world But we're booked out doing online gardening at the moment So it's uh, it's, 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 it's good and it's busy And the whole world seems to be gardening Which is great Or well, that's as you great. Say at the moment At least looking out at the garden
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people picked up more gardening During the last year or so So I think there's a bigger interest There always was But I think there could be bigger interest anyhow uh, I don't know if you've noticed that or not in the last while
8: it's exploded in the last year and a half. So yeah. I suppose it's the one, the best positive to come out of the last year and a half is people's deeper appreciation for the, not just the beauty, but also the importance of the, the green environment and the natural landscape.
3: True. Well, Peter, we'll chat to you next week. Uh, thanks for joining us. There is theirishgardener.com. You'll find them on Instagram, on Facebook at the Irish Gardener. Peter Duddle. And we'll chat to you tomorrow morning from 10am with Cork Today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. I'm John Paul McNamara.